Would you please be seated and turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. What we're going to do is read verses 5 through 11. I can't help but read uh, these few verses and think of the prodigal son and think of uh, the son who has gone back and how you're cheering that he would go back home to a, to a father that loves him and and, and how it would be a different story if when he came over the hill and the father saw him, he turned and he went in and he shut the door and he would not receive the son back. But we love the story because we see in this prodigal son the reception that the father gives to the sinner. And so that we come to a passage like tonight in 2 Corinthians, and Paul's been writing uh, to them about a very uh, difficult uh, difficulty he's had with them relationally. He's referred to a severe letter, which we do not have, uh, a, a lost letter. I'd like to see an Indiana Jones look for that one. Maybe that would be a good uh, movie to go see. But here, Paul has been pouring himself out, suffering. His heart's been suffering. The people, someone, uh, there's been conflict there. Someone's been probably trying to destroy his ministry among them, make accusations against him. And in the midst of this, there's been church discipline done in Corinth. Now, I don't know if this is the same man for 1 Corinthians in which uh, uh, he was caught um, in a, a, an adulterous relationship. I don't believe it is. I think Paul's referring to someone else here. And I think... Um, uh, he was done great harm by whoever this particular individual was. And so Paul, of all people, would be the one who you would think would um, have a, a difficult time showing grace, showing mercy, showing forgiveness towards this man. Yet what's presented to us in this passage um, is discipline. And not only discipline, but the hope in the end that we hope uh, to see from someone who has been disciplined and sees their sin, and returns to the Lord. So before us really is set the gospel. What the gospel hopes to accomplish. Let me pray, and then we'll read God's word. Our gracious God, we thank you for this word that has been set before us. It instructs your church even today, God. For just as Corinth struggled with it, just as every church has, we're filled with sinners. And we are capable, O oh God, of harming each other, of hurting each other, of causing great offense. And yet at the same time, we are so apt to forget the mercy, the overwhelming mercy, our Heavenly Father, that You have shown us in Jesus Christ, that You have poured out upon sinners, that we might come to You with confidence knowing how You would always receive us. So give us faith and give us repentance. And give us hearts that are quick to forgive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beginning with verse 5. Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should turn rather to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have 
forgiven anything has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. This is God's word for his people tonight. Amen. Amen. This evening we'll see the aim of church discipline. We'll uh, see three things. One, sin wounds. Two, the gospel heals. And three, Satan's designs versus God's design. For sin wounds. Any of you that have had a family member go through a terrible sickness, you know that uh, often it, it attacks the whole body and, and, and cancer, for instance, it spreads. And we must deal with it. If you don't, the body ceases to function. And often that process is a very painful process, the process of the doctors dealing with it. And here we have, in a similar light, the necessity of discipline in the church. Something has happened in the Corinthian church that has caused great division and it's moved in the body like a cancer. They've gone through a painful process, it seems. They've been faithful and they've done what's necessary. They have done the discipline on whoever this man is that has been disruptive and and damaging to the congregation. I don't know if it was gossip or personal attacks or whatever it might be. And Paul spent uh, the first two chapters of, for, of Corinthians outlining uh, the pain, expressing it, uh, and, and expressing it in, in the sense that it's not just something that's outside the church, you know, outside persecution, but within the very body of believers, something has been happening. And as an apostle to this church, he has suffered. And he's been accused. And he had to address in the first part of this chapter already very hard matters within the church. He had to write a painful letter in which a sharp rebuke was needed. And he has used words to describe the way he's feeling, as we saw last week, of anguish of heart and many tears. And whatever this particular sins of the man in view in this section, it has not only caused Paul grief, but the entire fellowship of believers. It says in verse 5, If anyone has caused pain, he has not caused it to me. I don't believe that's because he hasn't experienced pain. But not to be too severe or overstated to all of you. That's what happens in church conflict. We're family. And it spreads and it affects everyone. Think for a moment just even of your own household. I mean, I don't know why I've thought in the past this might teach a lesson, but a little silent treatment might teach them something, right? Uh, to withhold love, or you walk in the house after a fight and you go down a hallway and you kind of turn sideways and you try to pass each other. It's broken, right? That's not the way a household works. You can't function that way. You're to communicate. And when you're in a smaller house, right, there's not a lot of places to go. You can sense it's broken. That's family. Tension in the air. And if you don't deal with it, what happens? You might have a bad night's sleep. But what happens in the heart? Bitterness. Bitterness that starts to take root. 
And you see, that's, that's what sin wants to do. Sin wants those kinds of wounds so that, it, that the, whole, the whole communication is, is broken down and this whole organism doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. That roots of bitterness grow and crack at the foundation of the, of the thing that's supposed to be good. See, we as a church, we're not just an organization. One pastor says it this way, the church is the living embodiment of God's purpose and plan to redeem sinners and reconcile them to Himself. The same believer in Jesus Christ who is justified by faith is also adopted, it says, into a family. The family of God. Collectively, we make up the bride of Christ. And if you've been in church long enough, if you grew up in it, I bet you have experienced a church fight. And how much it hurts. The wounds of sin in the church have caused many to look at the church and say, if this is the way Christians will treat each other, I want no part in it. And children have watched their parents fighting or their best friends all of a sudden ripped apart because something's going on with mom and dad and that mom and dad and they say, the church is dead to me. It's no place I want to be. Those people are mean. They've seen the hypocrisy and they have judged that the world handles things better. That's the insidious aim of sin. Sin unchecked. It's what it can do to a congregation. It doesn't want to just destroy the individual, but destroy the entirety of anything that God would call good. Sin wants to spread like a contagion over all of the earth, and the church is not excluded. And that's why we can never be okay with sin. Church discipline is a mark of the church. The true church disciplines. Why? Because the Gospel's so glorious and it has an answer to sin. For the peace and the purity of the church and for the glory of God, the Word instructs us to submit ourselves to discipline. We can never be okay with sin because the result of it is death. For the wages of sin is death. But this means that dealing with it is often painful. And this is what Paul's describing. And we have to acknowledge sin. And we have to deal with it whenever and wherever it may be found that we might not ever be comfortable with it. Both personally, and Paul instructs, corporately. Church discipline acknowledges the sin rather than overlooking it. And it is painful surgery meant to bring health. Sin wounds. But there is a cure. Corinth has been obedient and disciplined, but now it's reeling from it. Something something has happened in their midst. They've done what Paul instructed them to do. And even, even more so, it would seem that the man who has been disciplined The one who caused the offense is suffering. How does a church 
recover from the pain of sin, right? I think we've told you, at least I have said it. I know that Matt said it. I've heard him say it more than me. I don't know why, Matt. We will let you down at some point in the membership interview. At some point, I will sin against one of you. Hopefully unintentionally. At one point, one of you will sin against another in the congregation. Hopefully unintentionally. But how does one heal from that? What if it's, it, it, it just, it's just damaging, right? And it's scarring. How does a church recover? Paul, Paul now brings to bear for them and for us the balm of the gospel for the wounded. Discipline should always intend to highlight the gospel. It shows the seriousness of sin at the same time discipline has as its goal the gospel, redemption, and restoration to the offender. So this leads us to our second point. The gospel heals. Discipline is not meant to be severe for the sake of severity. That misses the mark. Instead, it seeks to restore the sinner through repentance and uh, restoration. Why do you discipline a child? Is it to, to let them know, you know who's in charge here. I stand over you. You'll obey me no matter what. Is that why we discipline our children? I hope not. Is it to make them afraid of you so that they'll obey? No, it's to turn them away from a course that is dangerous. Whether it's like a, a, a dog danger, you better listen to me, don't run out in the, straight, uh, in the street, or whether it's danger because you don't understand, understand where this sin leads, right? It was my father who I mentioned earlier. He used to cry when he disciplined me. Do you know how just alarming that is? Children, have you ever seen your parents cry? It's, it's weird to watch, isn't it? It's... it's you don't know what to do. And why is my dad crying? He's crying because I've sinned and he has to discipline me and he hates the whole bunch of it, right? He doesn't want to do any of that. He just wants things to be right. And he always ended with the good news of the gospel. It didn't make the punishment, as I said earlier, sting any less but it made me understand why it hurt. Verse 6 through 8. The man has been punished by the majority and it has been enough, Paul says. It has been enough. Why has it been enough? He says because it has accomplished its intended goal. He repented. You know, this is, this is what we hope from discipline. It's to be rejoiced over. What is repenting? It's, it's turning from the thing that was bad to the thing which is good. We should rejoice when a sinner repents. It says that it caused this man deep sorrow. But the hard part of discipline is not always the act of giving. Like I said earlier, we instinctively like to see justice done to an offender. Often the hardest part is the forgiveness that follows. This isn't natural 
True forgiveness is supernatural. It's the working of the Spirit. Discipline can be just as dangerous for a church as simply allowing the sin to go unchecked. If done with a heavy hand and done simply to be harsh and to eject some brave from the congregation that you don't want there anymore, to be aimed like some kind of arrow that leadership could misuse or the congregation could rile up enough people to exercise it on somebody. The man has been disciplined. He has repented, but something was still missing in the church. The consequence of his sin was continually still pressing down on him and causing him, it says, excessive sorrow. But there was no restoration. Verse 7, Paul urges them. He says, forgive him and comfort him. Is that not the Gospel? Forgive and comfort? This is what he says, to speak to the one who's caused offense and has said, I'm sorry, to go to them and be whatever comfort you can give to them. In forgiveness. It's like the parent who embraces their child after they've disciplined them, takes them up on their knee and hugs them. The gospel doesn't leave us in excessive sorrow. It is both the tool which exposes our sin and heals it. The gospel acknowledges there is something to forgive and it gives comfort to that offense. A church that disciplines, a mark of the true church, is always to also be a steward of the gospel of reconciliation. Psalm 51 says, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore. You hear that? Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. In fact, I can't help but think of uh, the sermon that Peter preaches in Acts 2. You know, he goes on and on about who Christ was. And he's preaching to the people who likely stood in the streets and shouted, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Right? They want this man dead. They have raged against Him. Lied. Said false witnesses. And loved every moment of it until they are cut during Peter's sermon to the heart, realizing they have put the Messiah, Christ, to death. And now Peter could have said, when they were cut to the heart, what are we supposed to do, they say? He could have said, sorry, man. I mean, that's the worst you can do. You crucified God's Son. There's no hope. No, he was simplistic. Two words. Repent and be baptized. That's it? Yes, the Gospel is that simple. When we come to ourselves and you think, what can I do to heal this? And this man under excessive sorrow, being crushed by it, I can't do any more. He must have thrown his hands up. I've repented. They won't have me back. Paul says, it's enough. And God says, it's enough. When we repent and turn from our sins, He restores us. Not not by any works you have to do. It's that simple as Peter says. The ones who crucified Christ. Now you look at this church, and I don't know what the offense was, but I bet it wasn't that bad. Except all sins. Sin is an offense against a holy and eternal God. Sin is that bad. 
And if God's willing to forgive you of all your sins, Paul's instruction is, then you must turn to this brother and lift him up out of his sorrow and encourage him and forgive him and restore him. In one sense, he's saying to them, do you believe the Gospel? Do you believe God could have really done that for you? Then do it for this brother. And Paul says to them, I'm watching to see if you'll be obedient for the sake of Christ. Be obedient. He begs them in verse 8 to reaffirm their love for this man, to restore him. Discipline has done the necessary thing, but it is incomplete always without restoration. What does it say about the Gospel? If we are serious enough to discipline, but not to restore. And it's what we should pray for, by the way. This church has gone through the painful process of having to do church discipline multiple times. And every single time, the brothers in that room have wept over it. And not just that person, but realizing themselves to be a sinner. Has God forgiven you of your sin? Can we not forgive a brother or a sister in Christ for wronging us? Paul will be the first to lead in this who had the most wrong done to him. Verse 10. Paul begs because he believes in the veracity of the gospel of salvation to forgive and restore all sinners. You see, the gospel is the very thing at stake in what unfolded in this church conflict. Verse 9, he's waiting to see their obedience. And if we aren't careful how we deal with each other in the gospel love, then we can be sure of one thing Paul closes with, our last point, Satan's designs versus God's design. Verse 11, he says this, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. He wants you to know Church, all saints, Presbyterian church, and all other churches, we have other brothers and sisters that come every Sunday night from other churches, know this. Satan hates the church. He hates it with a passion, and he will do everything that he can, and he will draw back as often as he is able his arrows to fire at the church to strike anywhere there might be weakness. These are his designs. He did it in the garden, and he hasn't stopped doing it since. He hates the image of God, and he hates his image bearers, and he hates the kingdom of God, and he was told by God Himself, between my kingdom and your kingdom, there will be enmity. And there will always be this fight. And anywhere He can find it, He will seize on it. Give Him a foothold in the church and watch His designs work. A whisper campaign. Jealousy. Pride. Instead of people on their knees repenting, He will always take advantage of it in marriages anywhere but he loves it in the church because the world watches and they watch when christians can't forgive each other and he watches when christians seem to be meaner to each other than they are to their their non-believing uh, neighbors on the street 
Paul knows what's at stake, and he warns them. In the presence of Christ, he says, verse 10, he commands them to let any prodigal son that has repented of their sins to come home that you might throw the doors open and give them wide reception and restore them. This is God's design that none will be turned away who raise the banner of Christ. Satan loves a good conflict and the carnage that it leaves behind. And he loves it when people believe that the damage is irreparable. He loves broken marriages, severed relationships. He loves it when the church conflict takes the eyes off a church who should be sharing the gospel, and that should be their work in the world, sharing the good news of Christ that is so distracted that they just look at each other, can't stand each other, that give side-eyeing judgment of, you remember what they did? Sure, they're back, right? But do you remember what they said? I can't believe they're back. He loves it when someone gives up on the church because she's so broken at times. So then discipline is to be the gospel at work in the lives of believers just as God disciplines the ones that He loves so that it will yield the end goal peaceful fruit and the glory of God that it will make His bride pure. That we would never sit here and say we're okay with sin because we know it's damage. And God won't leave us as we are. He disciplines His children. And so a church that disciplines and restores are the mark of being His church. Discipline is a gospel work with gospel motives. So how do we respond to the thrust of Paul's argument? Forgive the sinner. I beg you, I urge you, whenever you're able to forgive and to comfort, it will serve no good to a watching world if we do not love others as we love ourselves. And I urge you to lead in this. To lead in it. You can't give someone the gift of repentance. It's not your gift to give. It's the Spirit's. But you know what you can do? You can forgive. I hope that this is a mark of all saints and from all other churches that you've come from this evening for all who claim and love Christ in the end. Isn't the Gospel beautiful? What Paul tells us is forgive the sinner. God's whole aim in all of Scripture is this message. He will take the sinner who repents and restore them to a right relationship with them. Let's pray.